following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm glad that... uh... Pastor Vince kind of set me up there with the, the explanation of the series we're in because I'm going to be honest. I timed myself yesterday and I said, yeesh, it's a little on the long side. I was shooting for 30 minutes. I'll tell you up front, we might be here for about 50, 55. So we might have shaved a few seconds off though with the explanation up ahead of time. All right, well, Uh, I'm Jordan, if you don't know, one of the pastors here. Uh, I am the executive and creative arts pastor. I do a lot of the um, finances, organizing, music, design, uh, all that stuff. Um, So the assignment, as Pastor Vince explained, was that we were to preach on a set of verses that has convicted us or changed us or... Uh, challenged us, showed us something, um, been timely in our lives or in this time as a whole. Um, I came into this thing, I was like, you know what? This is going to be so awesome. I, uh, I sat down and I started praying and I was looking through my Bible, I was looking through like my notes and my journals, um, looking through my social media posts, because sometimes I post things that I find convicting or challenging. I'm not super active on there, so. Um, But I said, you know, I want this to be something uh, convicting, something that that comes in and and just cuts. Um, Because those are the sermons that that I typically like. I like to be cut deep. I want to know what Jesus wants to change about me for my good and his glory. But... um, so those are the sermons I typically like to preach. So that I was like, all right, I'm coming in with this mindset. I want to bring the hammer. Uh, so I said, you know what? All right, uh, how about James 3? Uh, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Yeah, I said, ooh, okay, okay. I was like, no, okay. Mm, or what? Okay, how about um, Hebrews 10? How much more severely... Do we think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy this, this blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? I said, ooh, okay. That, that's heavy. Okay. I said, okay, but what if I dial it back just, just a little bit uh, and maybe talk about our priorities and uh, our deepest desires in life? So I said, okay, how about Psalm 27.4? One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So that's, that's kind of kind a little weighty, but it's also encouraging. Um, and the Lord really did speak to me a lot over this last year through that verse. Um, so I had these verses and about seven others uh, bouncing around in my head. I, you know, um, I, it, it was... I knew a, a, a long time before I was going to preach today when I was going to preach. So I had all these verses bouncing around in my head, and uh, I had different people come up and ask me, like, oh, what's, what's the verse you said on? Because we had a group text of all the guys who were preaching. 
And a lot of guys right away are like, boom, here's the verse. And so these guys over the weeks come up and ask me, like, what are you preaching on? I'm like, well, let me. And I would give them like a list of seven verses, like, I, one, maybe one of those. I don't know. Uh, so, I, so I couldn't settle on one. Um, and now to, can, can I be honest this morning? Is that, is that all right? I can be honest? Um, here's the thing. I feel like I knew right away what the Lord wanted me to speak on. Um, it was like this little small voice in the, in the, in the back of my head, but I, I quickly shut it down. And I started looking at all these other verses. I found myself trying to find the, the best thing to preach, what, what I wanted to preach, what the, 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 uh, the motive I had, what, what I wanted to accomplish in this sermon, in this in-season sermon, instead of, I wanted to do that on my own instead of taking a back seat and, and listening to what the Lord would have to say. The, it, it was funny because even, even uh, God was even using my wife, Jill. Um, I, was, I was talking to her about it, and I was like, here's, you know, here's all these verses I'm thinking about, and I think these are some good ones. I think there's a good one in here. And she was like, you don't, you don't think you should talk about this thing that's been happening in your life? I was like, no. <laughs> I don't think so, No. I was like, no, because it's not, it's not me. It's not like heavy. It's not convicting, like cutting. Like, I, no, I don't think so. Uh, but finally, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, uh, I set my stubbornness aside, or uh, the Holy Spirit wore me down. Um, and, and, and in that, <laughs> as panic kind of set in, uh, as, as this day was growing closer and closer, I was like, okay, what verse am I doing, Lord? What is it? Um, even as soon as last Sunday, I, w- I was down, I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about this thing that's been happening. Okay, God, that's, that's what you might need to do. Okay, so now I have these two verses that I think have, have been speaking to me that are good. But even last Sunday, I was like, all right, I'm going this direction. I had started studying, and then last Sunday... I felt like the Lord was like, no, actually do this one you haven't even started studying yet. I was like, okay. All right. Um, but overall, I feel like the Lord directed me to this set of verses um, because they've been helping me. They've been encouraging me for a little bit, and they uh, continue to do so and will continue to do so. Um, so do you want to know why it was hard for me to figure out what I wanted to preach, what I wanted to teach on, what verses I should do. I think it was, it was hard for me because I have to, to talk about myself a little bit, and I have to open up about myself a little bit, and I have to talk about something that's real right now, um, that, I, that I struggle with right now, um, and I, I didn't want to do that. I was like, mm, I, I don't think so. <laughs> but the Lord had a he had other plans. Um, so, I think this, this, this set of verses will be helpful to uh, me specifically. I know it has been, and it will be to you this morning. So, the set of verses, all that to say, <laughs> the set of verses that we're going to be in this morning, if you would, grab your Bible, open up, uh, or if you don't have one, it'll be on the screen behind us. If you don't own a Bible, we have those. We like to give those away for free. They're in the Connection Center, which is right through those doors. So if you don't have one, you need one, grab one. They're free. 
Uh, so the set of verses is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 18. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, let me give you a little context about uh, myself and these um, verses. Uh, growing up, I lived um, what I would call a pretty cushy, cozy life when it comes to the things of suffering and death. I didn't know much about it at all. I uh, actually guarded myself from it. I insulated my heart and my mind from it. I shielded my eyes from it as best I could. The most I really ever thought about it was, was when I would write songs, which I did quite a bit when I was younger. Um, here's the, the premise of a, a, of a song lyric that I wrote when I was younger that will give you kind of an insight of um, my bad theology at the time, but also my... Um, the, the lengths I would go to to avoid uh, anything sad or hard or heavy. The lyric went something like this. Um, Love in the end just runs down your face. So here's what I meant by that. I don't even know if I meant if I knew at the time, because again, back then I didn't like to think through things really. Um, what, what I meant by that was like, What's the point in, in, in love, in relationships, romantic, or just friends, family? What's the point in love? Because in the end, it's just going to disappoint us. It's just going to run down our face in uh, heartbreak or sadness. Just an insight. I'm being honest where I, where I was when I was younger. And the way I would insulate myself from, from thinking about sad or heavy things. Um. Then, as I truly became uh, a Christian and came to know Christ and um, started studying his word, I, I was kind of um, maybe fascinated and maybe, maybe a little terrified of the idea of, of suffering and death. So I started studying it and um, I wanted to see what the Bible talked about, how the Bible talked about it and what it taught about it. Um, I, so I studied it, and I felt pretty good about uh, what I had learned, and I felt like I had a pretty good understanding about how to apply it to my, my, my life, I thought, anyways. Um, and so in, in that season, uh, which was in the last 10 years, we'll say, somewhere around there, um, in that season, as I was studying and learning these things and thinking, okay, I think I have a pretty good grasp on how the Bible talks about death and suffering. It was like the Lord <laughs> said, you know, you know how you've never really truly seen or experienced uh, suffering and death? Let me show you. Uh, he's, it was like he was like, let's put to test what you think you've learned. Um, it, it, was like, it, it was like all my eyes could see was death and suffering all around me. Um, it was all I could see in, in, in family and friends uh, fellow Christians, death, cancer, mental illness. It was, it was all I would notice on social media. Um, I was suddenly in, in just surrounded by suffering and death is what it felt like. And then, many of you don't know this. This is the part that I said, Lord, I don't want to talk about this. Uh, but I... I started dealing with uh, anxiety, um, and specifically like, uh, uh, like health anxiety type stuff. 
Um, now, I, I want to say in comparison, we're going to talk about suffering and death if you haven't guessed it. Uh, yay. <laughs> uh, but um, in comparison to, to most suffering, even near me in the United States, in the world, uh, compared to other anxieties and depression, this, this is nothing. But um, to someone like me, who had insulated and maybe even unconsciously, even at times, done whatever it takes to, to not feel, to not feel those things, especially that are sad or hard, it, it was a lot. Um, for someone like me who was very, uh, very logical, I, I don't like to, uh, or the way I like process things is I think about them a lot. I don't process things emotionally at all. Um, I think the Lord's helping me with that. I think that's one of the things he's doing through this. <laughs> uh, but for someone who's like logic and facts and uh, organizing and uh, processes, it was a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. So it's been about three years now that I've struggled with this and, and I'm still trying to process it and understand it, still trying to make sense of it. Uh, when truly more often than not, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. I'm, I'm going to be honest. As I said, I already asked you if I could be honest, and I heard some of you say yes, so here we are. Um, when, I, when I sat down to think about, okay, so I in, intentionally sat down. I was like, let me think about this. How long has it been? Because I still have a propensity to, to not think on hard things. But when I sat down and I thought about it and realized it's been three years that I've been struggling. Again, I know this doesn't compare to some suffering, but when I sat down and realized it's been three years, <laughs> um, it, was, it was heavy. It, it, it hurt. I was sitting there and I was like, man, because I, I never really sat there and, and took the time to think about how long it's, it's been. I, I hadn't really sat down often to think about uh, this struggle at all. Um, so it, it, was, it was painful. I, I've prayed many times and asked the Lord to, to take it from me. I've, I've felt burdened by it. I've been distraught about it. I've worried my family with it. I've burdened my wife with it. I've felt at times like I was nearly going to lose heart. And it, it feels embarrassing even, especially as as someone who's a pastor, to think that I have this anxiety about health and, and death. I, I know the truth of the Bible, right? I, I stand firm on those truths. I, but, but somehow yet I, I struggle beyond logic and, and knowledge. But God, still working in me by his grace, has given me hope and purpose and joy beyond understanding, and, and these verses we're going to look at today have been and will continue to be a huge part of that. It has been and will be a, a firm foundation and a sure and steady ground, an unchanging refuge to which I will continually run to again and again. So this is real time. This isn't something that I've learned, but something that I am learning, something that I'm going through now, still. These verses are in season for my life, and I, I think they will be uh, in season 
for many of you today as well. Now, I do want to make a short caveat. I'm not in this sermon, I'm, I'm not making some, uh, some statement about mental health and what you should and shouldn't do. I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything and everything you can to, to get help through the common grace God has, has provided to us, meaning um, you should exercise, watch what you eat, limit caffeine, take supplements, even take medications, talk to professionals, do all of those things. But do all of those things while believing and trusting in the things that we're going to talk about today. All right, so a little verse context. And I know, I'm doing a lot of talking before we actually get to the verses, but we're getting there. So I think we're often um, surprised by suffering, even as Christians, or maybe I should say, especially as Christians, I think often we're surprised by suffering. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, which is where we're going to be at, he, he's basically making a case that he is a trusted apostle of Christ because people were uh, accusing him of not being so. Specifically, they were accusing him of this because of all the bad things that were happening to him and all the things that seemed to go wrong in his life. People were saying to Paul things like, like, how can God be with this man when all this stuff happens to him? Surely when, when God's with you, he protects you. Surely when God's with you, you prosper. If God is really with you, if you're an apostle, Paul, all these things wouldn't be happening. And I think that often we do the same things in our own lives. As these, we do the same thing as these people accusing Paul that when hard things happen, when afflictions come, we say, or, or maybe we think and don't say out loud, this can't be right. Either there's no God, or God is mad at me, or, or God has forsaken me, forgotten about me. So Paul, here in 2 Corinthians 4, he's responding to all of this. Paul is pleading the case of the validity of his ministry and walk with God in spite of of the intense persecution, affliction, and trials that he's facing. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from this as well. Okay, finally, now let's read 2 Corinthians 4. Hopefully you've made your way there. All right, let's read it together. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7, 7 to 18. It says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. If you want a sermon title, uh, typically I like them. Uh, I titled this sermon, Broken on Purpose. All right, so here's the plan for the rest of the sermon. We're just going to work through these verses together and, and see what it is that uh, God can teach us through these. <clears throat> so uh, let's look at verse 7 again. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So verse 6, the verse right before where we started, listen, I, I thought about reading the whole chapter, but I was like, I can't because it's already too long. So 7-18 is where we're at. But verse 6, the verse right before where we started, uh, is, is saying that we as humans, we as Christians who have, been, who have uh, believed the gospel and seen, as verse 6 says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, it's, we are earthen vessels or clay pots, clay jars, and the treasure that's inside of us is that knowledge, is the gospel. Paul here, he's, he's making a comparison. Clay pots are fragile. They're weak. They're not attractive. Yet, it can hold great treasure. He's comparing the value of God's light and glory and the value of what he chose to put his light and glory into. Paul's communicating that as he and Timothy were proclaiming Christ, they weren't doing it on their own power, but instead, God had provided life, had provided power, had provided the message, had provided everything. It's the idea that the absolute insufficiency of human beings reveals the total sufficiency of God. Paul's point wasn't necessarily on this earthen vessel, this clay jar, if you will, but on its priceless contents, God's power dwelling within us. Even though we are fragile, weak jars, God uses and gives us power to do his work. Knowing that that power is his and not ours, it, that, that actually should keep us from pride. It's our responsibility to let people see God through us. You see, God's intention for the beautiful treasure, for it to be carried in a cheap and easily cracked container, was that so the surpassing power of God can shine through the cracks. The weakness of the vessel reveals the, who the, the power belongs to. Oftentimes, the weaker the vessel, the stronger his power appears to be. That the, that the treasure itself should be valued more the weaker the vessel. It's this idea that God triumphs amid human weakness. There's a huge discrepancy between the container, us, 
and the treasure, the gospel, God's power, and it shows that human weakness presents no barrier to God's purposes. Amen? How many of us, though, have been tempted to think that our weakness is a barrier to God's purposes? We, we, we are aware of, maybe some of us more than others, that our flesh is weak, that we have lack of emotional energy, lack of knowledge, physical exhaustion or sickness, anxiety, or even self-doubt. We're aware of these things. And I think that we, we often think that these things hinder what God can do. I think that a lot of people tend to think that in order for God to do something great, he has to use something or someone great. However, the reality is that those who think of themselves as great or the world would recognize as great are far more prone to take for themselves the credit or glory that belongs to God. They're more inclined to to draw attention to themselves, draw praise to themselves than to the God who is worthy and to whom all glory is due. Paul, and I think this is where we should land, Paul's more than happy to be a mundane, fragile, cracked, broken jar because it meant that whatever God accomplished through him would shine forth the glory of God alone. If God were to put this this treasure in 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 a chest that was ornate and magnificent, on its own, in other words, uh, maybe use people who, are, who think they on their own are strong or beautiful and glorious. People might end up focusing on the container rather than the contents. That's the gist of what, what Paul's saying here. Now remember, all of this is in light of Paul's like, he's like building a case because all these people are like, dude, God ain't. No, God's not with you. He's abandoned you. Look at all this stuff that's happening. Uh, but he's like, I got some stuff for you. Let, let me show you how God uses me, actually, and how God uses all of us who believe and would submit to Jesus. Um, on that note, so there are some people, though, <laughs> who hate that they're clay jars. They think that they deserve better or that so-called faith should and will deliver them from weakness in any and every way. That they are called and their purpose is to transform these weak, ugly, useless clay pots into ornate gold-laden treasure chests. And then they end up drawing huge crowds because a lot of people like that. It's it's upside down for us to actually be okay with, with being the opposite. Who doesn't want to be an ornate, gold-laden treasure chest? So what ends up happening is they draw a big crowd and lots of people to themselves and more attention to themselves than to God. And I, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. I don't, I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to be that person who's drawing a bunch of attention to myself and destroying detracting from the glory of God. I'd rather be a person who believes what what Paul Tripp says, and he says this, God's care comes in many forms. He cares enough to break your bones in order to capture your heart. I'd rather say who, who is worthy to be a container 
for God's light and glory. The smartest person isn't smart enough. The purest person isn't pure enough. The strongest person isn't strong enough. The most spiritual person isn't spiritual enough. And the most talented person isn't talented enough. I want to be the person who says we're all just clay pots containing an unspeakably great treasure. So let's look again at verses 8 to 12. It says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. We're going to end that section of verses on a positive note. Just death works in us. So, just, you know, so you're aware. <laughs> um, I, I think, unfortunately, um, in, if you've been around me enough, I've probably talked about this, but uh, I think, unfortunately, that modern American Christianity uh, lacks a theology of suffering. I think, like I've, I've said already, I think most American Christians are surprised by suffering. Um, but in these verses and lots of other verses, it seems pretty convincing that as a Christian, how we, we respond to, to trials and affliction, it seems to be a gauge of our maturity in Christ. Uh, Peter says something interesting in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, uh, Beloved, or Christian, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's like, dude, stop acting surprised when stuff comes, when trials and affliction come. Why, why are you acting like you're surprised? Like, whoa, where'd that come from? He's like, let, let me tell you again, don't be surprised. Um, Sam Storms talks about um, suffering in a couple different ways. Uh, he says there's a couple ways that we can look at, or that people tend to look at uh, affliction and suffering. So one way is some people actually deny that trials and suffering and affliction really exist. They are unrealistic, unrealistic, uh, and, and um, they, they fear to acknowledge weakness uh, and hardship because it would be an admission of, of sin or immaturity, or worst of all, Acknowledging that hardships exist in their lives is a, a lack of faith. So another way is that some would say that all suffering is demonic. It's all from Satan, uh, and none of it is from God, and God has nothing to do with it. It's just Satan. He's evil. He's terrible. He is. Let me not get ahead of myself. Uh, and then some would say that uh, it's, all this, it's all this fallen world. This, this fallen world has on its own, it's like it's got an unchecked um, power with fall, fallen consequences. It's unchecked. That's one way. And then the last way he says that people tend to look at affliction and suffering is that uh, we could see it as Paul sees it, which is divinely ordained, lovingly orchestrated opportunities for our growth the salvation of others, and above all else, God's glory. 
So a short caveat before we move on. I, this is my second caveat, so I, my apologies. Uh, I want to stop for just a second and say this, uh, just because I want to make sure I'm not misunderstood. Um, so Satan is out here. He's, he's seeking whom he may devour. He's um, getting people to believe his lies, and he's using them. Uh, this world is cursed, and it's fallen. Um, but the point here is that God is in control of everything. God's in control of all that Satan does. God's in control of this fallen world. There's nothing out of his reach. He's using everything. But let me not get ahead of myself again. So let, let me say this. Um, should we pray when affliction and sickness and suffering come? Absolutely, yes. Yes, we should, and we are told to do so. But I'm also, I don't want to put God in a box either and say that it's always God's will to heal every time. And I also don't want to say that uh, God, he just, he doesn't heal anymore. That was in the Bible times, he doesn't do that now. So I'm not, I'm not going to put God in a box either way. It's clear to me that, that God is con in control and we will suffer sometimes. And he uses it for his glory and for our good and the good of others. It's also clear that we should have faith and pray and ask the Lord to heal, expecting that he will. But if he doesn't, know that he's still good and that he's still in control. But that's my caveat. I can't stay there. We could preach a whole sermon just on that. But that's not why I'm here. So in verses 8 and 9, uh, remember... We just read 8 through 12. So in verses 8 and 9, um, Paul has four pairs, of, uh, uh, four pairs designed to illustrate something. The first in each pair is to show human weakness. That would be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And the second is to show God's strength. Not crushed, not despairing, not forsaken, not destroyed. First, Paul describes the the hardships that they experience and that we experience. And then he explain, explains how God's power sustains us through times of adversity. Paul's saying we've been afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We, we've gone through a lot. We've, we've been afflicted. We've been troubled in distress and suffering, but not totally hopeless. Even when I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, even when I've walked through these heavy things, the clay pot will not be broken or smashed to a point of hopelessness and despair because of the great treasure inside, because of the truth I have inside. I won't be overcome because of God's sustaining power. He's saying I've been perplexed but not despairing. I've been, uh, I've been confused. I've been uncertain. I've been anxious. I've been in doubt sometimes, but, but never totally confused never totally uncertain or doubtful, not, not broken, not confounded, not in total depression or, or total despairing because God's power never allowed it to overwhelm me, to overtake me. He says, I've been persecuted but not forsaken. Many rejected us and, and threatened us and tried to kill us, but we were never alone in that. God never left us. I was never abandoned he was right there with me. 
He said, we've, we've been struck down, but not destroyed. I've been punched in the face, Paul's saying. I've been knocked down. I've been abused, but not destroyed or ruined or knocked out. I've stood up again and again by the power of the almighty God of heaven and earth who's living inside me. With, with God as my strength, no blow can finally and eternally take me out. Because Christ has won the victory over death. I have eternal life. No matter what happens, I'll never be at the end of all hope. That's what Paul is saying in this, this uh, four pairs. So for the sake of Christ, the good of others and our own good, and you'll hear that a lot, for the good of others, for our, our good, and for the sake of Christ or the glory of God, we may find ourselves afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted and struck down, but we can rejoice because Christ, because of Christ, we are not crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. Paul's point is that when we feel that we're at the end of all we have to give, it's not the end of all that God has to give. It's, it's, it's actually the exact opposite when we're at the end of all that we have to give, that's exactly to the, the position to benefit from what God has to offer. Do you, do you get that? Let me, let me say that again. So it's the, it's the opposite. When we're at the end of all we have to give, when we're at the end of our own strength, that's exactly the position to benefit from what God has to offer. When we're at the end of ourselves, that's exactly the position where we experience the overflowing power of God breaking through and making a way. And yet again, all glory is directed towards him. In verses 10, and tw uh, 10 to 12, Paul is, is further explaining or elaborating on his points in verses 8 and 9 in these pairs. He's elaborating on these pairs. He's saying the dying of Jesus and the, the constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that those two um, sentences or descriptors, uh, they summarize what it means to be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. What it means to be a weak, fragile clay pot. And then he contrasts that with the life of Jesus. And that points to the, the not being crushed, driven to despair, forsaken, or destroyed in suffering afflictions or trials, burdens, loss. All of that. Our bodies are always passing away and degrading. That's what he says. In our suffering, our trials, our afflictions, we carry about in us the death of Jesus. And in our enduring these things, and in our trusting nonetheless, we carry about within us the life of Jesus and his resurrected power. I'm going to be honest, when I, when I was studying this, uh, 10... 10 to 12 uh, off rip. <laughs> and even as I had read these previously, I don't know if I fully understood this or got it. It was, it was pretty hard for me to, to grasp. But, but what Paul's saying here, he's elaborating on these four pairs. He's saying that in our suffering and our trials, in the way, wasting away of our, our earthen bodies, we carry about in us the death of Jesus. 
And then as we endure those things, as we um, trust God nonetheless in those things, we carry about in us the life of Jesus and his resurrection power to even do so. So the purpose of these fragile bodies, that they're getting worse, not better, is that we identify with Jesus and his sufferings, and that in that, as we continue in God's power, there's opportunity for the display of Jesus' risen life. The death of Jesus is portrayed in our earthen vessels and in our suffering. The, the dying of Jesus takes place daily through these things. And the life of Jesus is portrayed in God's resurrection power working in us, producing in us by the Holy Spirit the ability to endure and rejoice. The dying of Jesus in our bodies and through afflictions, are endured in order that rescue from them can be experienced. We are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. That's Paul says. Paul says that, and in saying that, he's saying that God is, is directing things. We are constantly being delivered. We are being delivered over to Death for Jesus' sake. God is directing things. He's in control of all things. This, this suffering isn't uh, coincidental, but it's part of God's plan. It's no surprise that this clay pot is cracking and wasting away. I think sometimes we think that if, if someone is really spiritually or, or, or spiritual, or really used of God, that they will live in a constant state of, of victory. That means that life will always be easy. And understanding what Paul is saying here, though, um, tells us that we as Christians may experience death-like suffering, but God has a good and a glorious purpose in allowing it. So Paul goes on, he says, death works in us. Paul's talking about afflictions and suffering and the wasting away of our bodies. And yet, as we continue in faith, trusting in the sovereign hand of God and his good plans and intentions, life is at work in our own souls. But also, because he says death is at work in us, but life in you. So I explained, how is death at work in us? All, all, all these ways, afflictions, suffering, the wasting away of our bodies, our earthen vessels, clay pots, that are easily cracked and broken. That's how death is at work in us. But life is at work in you, he says. Um, so as we continue in faith, trusting in God and his sovereign good plans and intentions, life is at work in our own souls, but also in the souls of others through the, our testimony and our continued work on mission despite those things. Death is... At work in us, the trials, afflictions, suffering, the wasting away of our bodies are opportunities for others to see us endure and trust in God and his power. For us to proclaim the hope that we have despite whatever comes. For us to, to proclaim that hope that no matter what comes, that brings the opportunity for eternal life to others, for hope to others, for ultimate victory for others. Sometimes 
the victory others see in their lives is dependent and only possible through God making you an effective servant through suffering. Let me say that again. Sometimes the victory that others will see in their lives is dependent and only possible through God making you an effective servant through suffering. And it's not because of our power, but because of God's power and the gospel sustaining us and shining through us. His life and resurrection power shining through the cracks of our decaying, broken jars. So let's move on to verses 13 to 15. I'll read those again. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So I believe, therefore I spoke. So Paul here is quoting Psalm 116.10, and it says this, I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. It's saying, I believed even, I believed even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. Even though the psalmist here was, was greatly afflicted, he didn't cease to believe. His faith was tried, but it wasn't destroyed. It's like the psalmist and Paul are, are saying, though I've had my ups and downs, though I've passed through several, several emotional states and uh, frames of mind and had tempers and tantrums in my trials, I believe still, and God never let go of me. Paul's like, I, I have the same attitude, attitude of faith. I, I, this, what, what the psalmist is talking about here, I believed even when I said I am greatly afflicted. He's like, I, I have that same attitude of faith and I trust in God despite all of these afflictions and sufferings that have been happening. So all of you who are accusing me, who are accusing me that God doesn't care about me, this. Trust in the Lord should um, motivate us to action. You can't just have trust in God and do nothing about it. You see, faith creates the testimony. Suffering can't kill faith, so suffering can't silence the speech of faith. Faith leads to testimony, and so we should boldly share the gospel and boldly share our reason for hope. We not only should trust and believe God's goodness and faithfulness in and through suffering and afflictions and trials, but our belief in and through those things should produce a courage and boldness to speak to others about his goodness and share the gospel. In any trial, suffering or persecution, we have nothing to fear because we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Paul goes on. We have nothing to fear. No trial, no affliction, no persecution, no fear of our bodies decaying day by day, no fear of mental illness, because God has promised to raise us with Christ on that last day. Our, bad, our bodies may pass away, but God 
will glorify them. This is part of, uh, of what's, what's helped me. I mean, this whole section of verses, everything I've said so far has helped me, but this is also part of, of what's helped me, is, is, is reminding myself of this promise of God. When I have this illogical, unexplained anxiety about health and, and death, I remind myself of, of this promise. When, when fear creeps in and anxiety boils up, this promise that knowing that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise me from the dead. Not only that, not only will he raise me from the dead, but he's going to raise you, my brothers and sisters, from the dead. And we're going to live together forever. We're going to live again. And I'll be with the people that I love. I'll live with Jesus forever in his glory. That promise has been a refuge for me as I've gone through this struggle. There is life after this. This, this promise tells me there's life after this. And it's a, a, a better, far more abundant, more fulfilling, incomprehensibly good life. An eternal life with no more affliction or sorrow or suffering or death or loss. Most of all, a life where I will forever be captivated by and in awe of the grandeur and beauty of Christ. So however and whatever the Lord would like to use for his glory, others' good, and my good in suffering, trial, affliction, and loss, persecution, I have nothing to fear or lose but everything to gain. And that's the truth that I have to believe, that many of us have to believe, that all of us have to believe. In verse 15, Paul brings us back to, to what this is all about. As I've said, I, I'll say it many times, it's all for uh, the good of others, for our good, and God's glory. So Paul brings us back. It's, it's for, the, for others' good and God's glory. Bringing grace to others and bringing glory to God. Bringing grace to others and glory to God. It sounds, sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Bringing, bringing grace to others and glory to God. It almost, you know what? It almost kind of sounds like love God, love people. That's interesting. Hmm. Uh, so God has a purpose, though, for our suffering and, and the wasting away of our bodies. It's for the good of others and for gratitude to multiply to the glory of God. As we continue in our spirit-given, steadfast faith in God through all circumstances and continue to be light in the world, continue to love others and to serve others despite our circumstances, the saving and sanctifying grace of God extends to more and more people. And as that happens, as eyes are opened and hearts are softened to the gospel of Christ, hearts are turned toward heaven with passionate praise and gratitude to God. And in that thanksgiving, God is glorified. Can we say with Paul that we live for the sake of others and the glory of God? Not only that, not only that, but can we say with Paul that we endure suffering and afflictions and loss by God's power 
for the sake of others. A spirit empowered. So all of that summed up. I'm going to sum that up in this statement. A spirit-empowered refusal, a spirit-empowered refusal to let our circumstances embitter us, to let discouragement and persecution and fear silence us, but instead embolden us to, to declare God's sovereign love and goodness towards us will all the more draw an even greater and more vivid attention to God and His glory. All while at the same time, bring us even greater purpose and joy. Now, I did debate, this is not in my notes, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I did debate uh, talking about two things that, um, oh man, I'm trying to say this quickly. Ooh, okay, two things quickly. Um, I'm basically just going to tell you that I don't have time to talk about them, but it's not selfish for God to want all glory for himself, right? And why is that? Uh, it's tied exactly to this purpose and joy of ours. God is, God craves and, and, and desires uh, his glory because it's for our good. We were created to be in God. We are most satisfied when we are satisfied in, in God. Our hearts will be restless until they rest in God, is how Augustine, I believe, said it. So, so that's the point. God is not selfish. It's not weird or wrong for God to desire all glory for himself because in desiring all glory for himself, that's where we will find joy and purpose. Okay, I have to leave it there because I want to keep saying a lot more, but no time. Okay. Uh, verse... Uh, 16 to 18. We're almost done. I know I'm going so long. Ah, okay. So, verses 16 to 18. Where does this spirit-empowered refusal... Uh, what, what is this spirit-empowered refusal? Where does it come from? Where does the power to, to persevere come from? The ability to, as we will see, not lose heart. Where can we find that? Not only do we find that in what we've already talked about, what these verses have already talked about, but Paul has more to add. So verses uh, 16 to 18, it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul, in, in talking about uh, the outer person again, in case you haven't guessed it, he's talking about um, our bodily frame, our clay pots, our earthen vessels. Uh, it, this is all in the same thought, our physical body, our mortal bodies, if you will. Um, that's what Paul's referring to in, 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 as he says, our outer person. Paul is talking about the suffering and afflictions and hardships that we carry about in our bodies, the wasting away of our earthly bodies. On the outside, on the outside, as we experience suffering, our, our bodies are decaying. Um, we're, we're taking a beating on the outside, some more than others, maybe. Um, but on the inside, 
On the inside, God is, is working and doing something. Not that he's not working those things on the outside, but on the inside, he's renewing us. Our inner person is being renewed. Once again, Paul is so good at this. Once again, that is pointing us to death and resurrection. So simultaneously, at the same time, our outer person is decaying while our inner person is being renewed day by day. This is happening at the exact same time. The same time we can be, uh, at the same time we can be physically weak or materially deprived or oppressed in it. And at the exact same time, we can experience spiritual renewal, refreshing, and growth. It's a Christian paradox. You see, pointing back to what I just said a minute ago about a spirit-empowered refusal, a power to persevere, an ability to not lose heart, part of that comes from being aware of the inner transformation that's happening. In Sam Storms, he says it this way, if you aren't aware of the inner transformation... The outer decimation might well breed bitterness and despair. If you aren't aware of the inner transformation, the outer decimation, the wasting away, the afflictions, the suffering, might breed bitterness and despair. Notice, though, that the inner transformation in the, in the midst of outer decay doesn't happen automatically. It's not like this, um, this one and done, right? That's not what Paul says. The inner transformation is dependent upon our day-to-day, re- renewed day-by-day, even hour-by-hour, I would say, sometimes. It's, it's those things that are day-by-day, looking up to those things that are unseen and not the things that are seen. We have to fix our eyes upon Jesus and the glorious hope of, of things to come. Not just a glance now and then, not just a, a thought now and then, but we must fix our eyes with attention, fix our eyes with concentration on the things to come. The promises that are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus, those are the things that we must attentively fix our eyes on. The, experiencing, the experience of, of not losing heart fades it needs to be renewed day by day. It's not this, this one-off thing. And, and John Piper says it this way. He says, Discovering the secret of not losing heart is not an experience that lasts a lifetime. It's the discovery of a fountain of life. Not one drink so that you never have to drink again. The secret is that you never have to look anywhere else for life and hope and strength and joy. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Every day they are new. There's there's fresh, new, living, flowing water from the fountain. And we have to go to that fountain daily and drink deeply of the day's water. We have to seek God daily. We have to daily read his word. We have to commune with him in prayer daily. Meditate upon his truths and promises daily. Rehearse the gospel daily. Look forward to resurrection hope daily. We have to do all these things daily. We have to go to that fountain of living water and drink. Friends, drink and be renewed day by day. So Paul goes on to talk about his his suffering and even our suffering as light momentary affliction. And some of you are like, dude, Paul is out of his mind. 
He doesn't know what he's talking about. Light momentary affliction? Have you seen what, I, what I've gone through? And maybe even you're not thinking of yourself. Maybe you're thinking of the worst uh, uh, suffering you can think of. You're like, dude, Paul, have you been around, bro? Have you seen some of this suffering? Like, light momentary? But here's the thing. It's not like Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Paul knew suffering. It was very real in his life. It wasn't imaginary. And, and even looking at it from an earthly perspective would seem like it was more than any human could, could endure. And, and later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul spells out some of the, what some of that suffering consisted of. It, he says, I was whipped, I was put in prison, I was beaten, I was stoned, I was shipwrecked, I was in dangers in rivers, I was robbed, dangers of, from his own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren, in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul knew suffering. And, and those weren't even, those were just the physical things that he went through, not even to mention maybe some spiritual and mental things that he went through. He was very familiar with suffering and affliction and loss and the weakness and the frailty of his body. But, but he was... He was very familiar with all those things, but at the same time, in view of eternity, in view of what is to come, it seemed light and momentary. He's not saying that, that, that uh, these sufferings and this pain is, is, is not um, painful or painless. He means that compared to what is coming, compared to what God has in store for us, they are like feathers on a scale. God is accomplishing in us a glory far heavier than any affliction we have suffered. Even the worst when measured against eternity is momentary. Compared to glory to eternity, it's all light and momentary. Think about that. So think about this for a minute. However hard and heavy the suffering and afflictions uh, that you, you, you go through, however hard and heavy they feel and are, Maybe the afflictions, if maybe you've not suffered much or you, you don't think you've suffered much, but maybe think about the, the worst suffering and loss and, and trials that you can think of. Worse than anything you could imagine almost. Paul's saying it doesn't compare. It doesn't even compare. So much more glorious and good must the eternal weight of glory be. Right? Think about that. He's saying, think of the worst suffering and trials and loss that you can think of. Think of the worst thing. And if you put those on a scale, the worst suffering you can think of, if you put that on a scale, it's like feathers. It doesn't even compare to the weight of the glory that's to come. It's beyond all comparison. So how much more sweet will it be compared to to the bitterness of any and all affliction. For those of us who have believed by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, we are adopted sons, who are adopted sons and, and daughters, we have a couple guarantees. We will suffer in this life, but we are also guaranteed that any suffering that does come will be momentary and light and meaningful. The glory to come is far greater than the pain of the present, which 
actually is producing eternal glory. Our afflictions, our afflictions don't just precede the glory. They help produce the glory. What Paul is saying there is, is um, that they, they don't just produce it. They, 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 they cause it or they, they bring about the glory. These afflictions, this suffering, this loss, it brings about this glory. So our afflictions sustained in faith are bringing about an eternal weight of glory. The weight of glory is being prepared for us, not just after, but through and by the wasting away of our bodies, through our suffering and our loss. Which then tells us, so what does that mean? So if we know that, what does that then tell us? It tells us that all of our, all of our pain, all of our afflictions, our suffering, our loss, our sorrow, even if it lasts a lifetime, the wasting away of our bodies, it all has a purpose. It's not for nothing. It's not meaningless. It's not a waste. Not one second of pain is wasted God is working it for your good and for eternal glory and for the good of others. It's doing something. That pain, that suffering, that loss is doing something. It's causing something. It's, it's bringing about something glorious. We may not be able to see it. The world may not be able to see it. But God is working and it's totally meaningful. We are able to trust this. Know this by looking to what is unseen rather than focusing on what is seen. Looking to that promise of God. Don't look at your current situation or pain or suffering. Look by faith at what the Lord is working in you, working you towards. Look at the things unseen. Look at all these future glorious things, these promises. Think about them, meditate upon them, memorize them, preach them to yourself. Look at those things. Look, look, look at those if we look at those things, at the things that are unseen, our afflictions won't make us miserable. They won't embitter us or cause us to be self-focused, but it will produce in us an eternal weight of glory. The afflictions of this temporary fleeting life will pale in comparison to eternity. Paul is basically saying there's a, 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 a more excellent way to look at life's afflictions and losses. Walk by faith, not by sight. The things we see by sight are real, but temporary. The things we look to by faith, the unseen, are both real and eternal. Do you see the, the comparison? The things we see now are real, but they are temporary. The things unseen that we look to by faith are real, but they are also eternal. He's saying looking at those present afflictions and losses, focusing on those things is a prescription for losing heart. All right, I'm wrapping up. Again, I know I've been so long. I had so many other pages, so many other things I got rid of. <sighs> okay, we're wrapping up. So right now, um, we only have a, a veiled glimpse of the weight of glory. We don't know everything we will experience in heaven and on the new earth, but we do know that it will be glorious and filled with the unparalleled riches of God's grace. We look at the things unseen through the gospel. 
We strengthen our hearts, renew our minds by fixing our gaze on the invisible, sure truth of all that the gospel means to us who have believed. Jesus, who was perfect in every way, perfect in power and beauty and glory and uh, always was crucified and killed. And through that tragedy, that injustice and that suffering, life for sinners like you and I was made possible. We are comforted because of his affliction, accepted because of his rejection. We live because he died. The gospel enables us to to deal with difficult momentary afflictions because it assures us of the, the permanence of God's promises. When we're momentarily afflicted, we are certain that we will not be crushed because Jesus was crushed on our behalf. When we are persecuted, we know that God will not forsake us because Jesus was forsaken in our place. When we experience death, we don't have to to, to fear or be afraid because we know that we will experience resurrection life because Jesus bore the penalty of death on our behalf. We cling to these truths, to this reality. We look to these things. We focus on what's to come. We look forward with Paul as he writes, now we see in a, dim, in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know, even as I have been fully known. On that day, we will see Jesus face to face in all his glory, and we will be like him, and we will see the weight of glory. We will see how he worked every single second of suffering and hardship and loss. Every single second of the decay of our bodies, we will see how it was for our good, the good of others, and his glory. We will see that it all had a purpose, and we will know that it was all worth it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us and through the cross. We have hope because of you. We have life because of you. God, thank you that you would use us, that you would entrust us with the most glorious and unspeakably great treasure of the gospel. Lord, help us to steward it well and to be content to be used however you see fit. Help us to be happy to be mundane, fragile clay jars so that whatever you accomplish through us, would shine forth your glory, God. Lord, because of you and your power, when when we are oppressed, we're not crushed. When we're perplexed, we're not uh, despaired. When we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. And when we're struck down, we're not destroyed. God, we are in awe of your power, of your resurrection power working in us. Lord, help us to trust you. And as we trust you to be moved into action, to go and share our testimony and your gospel. Jesus, we are so grateful that we don't have to fear death. We can trust that just as God raised you from the dead, he will raise us. Thank you that although our bodies are decaying, our souls are being renewed and refreshed day by day as we drink from your fountain of living water. God, help us to to keep an eternal perspective, to see this life as temporary and, and its troubles as light and momentary compared to eternity, compared to the weight of glory. Thank you, Lord, that not one second of this pain, of of suffering, of hardship, of anxiety, of depression, 
Not one second of it is wasted. It all has a purpose and is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Help us to know that these things we see by, by sight are real, but temporary, and the things we look to by faith are real and eternal. Lord Jesus, we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face in all your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.